This episode is sponsored by New Balance and Sarah's taking on the 2024 TCS London Marathon with their support. Today, we're really excited to talk to you about two specific shoes from the Fuel Cell range. Yes, the brand new Fuel Cell Rebel V4. Now, I have the luxury of training in a few different pairs of shoes. So currently how I use this shoe is in my tempo runs, my interval runs, my kind of faster sessions. Also, what I'm throwing at those sessions is the Fuel Cell Super Comp Elite V4 from New Balance. Because you'll be wearing those on race day. Yes. And I wore the V3 back for my Valencia Marathon PB in December and I'm excited as a shoe geek because they're essentially the ultimate marathon racing shoe based on innovation including being tested by athletes like the American marathon record holder Emily Sisson and she's run 218.29 so she's not hanging about. No I'll be slightly behind that time. Marginally. Marginally. Um, If you want to check out the Rebel V4 or the Supercomp Elite V4 head to the link in the show notes. And welcome to the Running Channel podcast with me, Andy Badley, my incredibly talented co-host, Sarah Hartley, and Rick, who's involved for some reason that no one really understands. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much. It's really lovely to be here. Yeah. What an intro. We are back and we are bringing you the latest running news, a deep dive into a hot topic in the world of running, which this week is everything Super Shoes related. Plus, we've got your questions to answer too. So much to get through. Let's get into it. We are back and we've had a very exciting week, haven't we, Andy? We went on holiday. Well, you, you, <laughs> well you, Rick went on holiday. Yeah. You treated our trip to Lanzarote where we were running a training camp and filming multiple videos as a holiday. But other than oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was down by the beach every day. Oh, I, so, so was I, actually. Oh. I had uh, a yeah. pina colada at about 11.30. Did you? We then, were doing uh, hill reps at 8 a.m. Uh, were you? 8 a.m., mm. what was I doing? I was recovering from. Uh, a daiquiri, a strawberry daiquiri, quite a lot of those. At 8 a.m.? Or are you recovering from the Reco- night before? Recovering, recovering, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're just getting going. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, Lo- in the, in the lovely world, week. <laughs> brilliant, we had rain. But no, it was amazing. We ran our very first training camp out in Lanzarote and it yeah. was epic. Met some great people, did some great running, did my highest mileage week Well, yeah, it's important time. for us to say now we are less than two weeks, so significantly less than two weeks, until Sarah takes on a soccer marathon. So... I guess an update for everyone, Sarah. How's it going? I'm terrified. <laughs> Do you feel ready? Um, yes. Your voice has got very squeaky, so okay. I'm saying no, you don't feel ready? No, I do feel ready. I feel so ready. Um, but this is every marathon that I've done previously, which makes it sound like I've run loads, I've run two. Yeah. In the last two that I've done, I have either followed a plan or I've kind of had more of an overview of my training for the last couple of weeks, whereas I'm still working with my coach, Andy, where he either texts me on a Sunday with my whole training for the week or for this week's specific specifically he's just been texting me kind of day by day you feel like you're in the middle of like a taper you're massively easing down now right no (laughs) I ran 16 kilometers yesterday so I've been expecting every day for him to be like like I've got a run tomorrow which is 35 minutes easy that's what I was expecting for these last two weeks well so so this is the thing when you run your first marathon if you're following a beginner plan then your tapering period is going to be relatively more like normal you'll ease your way down whereas because I've been training for quite a long time my build-up's been well over 16 weeks for this I'm obviously able to take on more mileage I'm still tapering off but I think my brain is still in beginner marathon training whereas actually I'm targeting quite an aggressive PB I've built up a lot of mileage Andy clearly has a lot of faith in me not this one my coach I have, Andy. I have plenty yeah. of faith in you Andy is an expert as well and, <laughs> and also I've been there too different but because it was very different distances but he always made me do stuff that I, I didn't want to do but it, it keeps your body going it's actually quite important you've been training at a relatively high level and so now maintaining that 
uh, to some extent and not mm. just doing what you want to do, which was nothing at all. But yeah. you've, never, you've never run a marathon though. That's important to point out. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Rick. Although you did actually give a very interesting insight when we were at the training camp. You were oh, saying thanks. how, for once, you were saying how when you used to race, you would actually do like, was it two 30 second efforts at race pace before you started going because it did something scientific. That's right. Are you glad, glad you were paying attention? Scientific. Yeah, that, you sound like, hey, I'd I love remembered, to see your uh, text with Andy. Yeah. Yeah. This is almost the whole have, gist of that. Have you and, and Rick been conferring in the running channel technical library section <laughs> it was something to do with vo2 kinetics yes that yeah, one so it's it's more relevant the shorter you Is go that a board so it's, game? <laughs> it's more relevant okay be quiet science time we we um it's more relevant the shorter distances you go five or ten k and for me 1500 meters so in the marathon probably slightly less so but yeah i would run my stride so 100 meter efforts at a harder effort to get ready to run at race pace but then there's really good science behind um, what's called VO2 kinetics, which is how fast your body's able to get up to maximum operating capacity in terms of uh, the way your physiology works. And so to do that, the, the recommendation from the science was to do two 30-second efforts for me. So that would have been roughly 200 meters on the track at my, or even faster than my race pace. And you don't want to do it because you feel that's going to make you tired immediately before your race. But you've got a half an hour window where if you do it in that half hour window, then your body is kind of primed and ready to go. So, yeah. And that's relative to marathon training. I'm not suggesting anyone should do that on marathon day, but it's relative in that you're gearing up towards a huge distance yeah. that you won't have run in training. But the temptation is to go, right, okay, I need to save my legs. I need super, super fresh yeah. legs. But actually, from my experience, I found that... The, there is a very good happy medium. And if you're not sure, the Running Channel has an excellent marathon training plan, which I've tried and tested and it's great. And that has a proper how to taper towards the end of it. Yeah. And it does make such a big difference when your legs are fresh, but not too fresh. Yeah, you need to, I mean, to summarize, the, the idea of the taper is you, you're still doing enough that your body knows it's going to take on a big challenge soon, but not mm. so much that you're too tired. So you're giving yourself a chance to have that final adaptation, the recovery, ready, and then you'll be ready to go on race day and ultimately quite exciting we're gonna in a future episode so probably two episodes time we're gonna record your not me but you'll be live from japan immediately or, or one day post your your marathon oh, so i think due to the space. time difference it's going to be pretty immediate <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately yeah. so get ready for my blood what, sweat and tears what is the time dif difference so eight hours ahead I mean, def definitely no definitely ahead but i don't know what ahead. um what the thing is oh, should, nine hours. i was actually i was thinking we should start recording about 8 p.m uk time actually yeah, that sounds reasonable. 4 a.m.? Yeah. Okay. No, Sarah's not keen. So that's Sarah's <laughs> marathon That's Sarah's that marathon hates. journey, but that wasn't everything that we did at Ironlands. No, Rossi, speaking right? of big challenges, yeah. so you had a big week of mileage, didn't you, Andy? <laughs> I did, did run a lot more than he I've run. He ran four whole kilometres, everyone. Brilliant. Okay, so <laughs> yes, I did. Sarah, look at me. Oh, I'm, I'm complaining. 16 kilometres, 40 kilometres. Oh, yeah, big, big time. But I did run, I did, it's related to the super shoes as well. We were testing for a video. I yeah. sound barely coherent here because I'm still <laughs> tired from this challenge. Set by the Running Channel team to test four different pairs of super shoes with a one kilometer time trial each day over four days. The slightly embarrassing thing here is that when I was training at my very best, I used to do eight times one kilometer with one minute recovery. And then my session in Lanzarote was four times one kilometer with 24 hours recovery. 
and the paces weren't and that different. And you were still slower. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was, so yes, it isn't the most scientific of tests. You no. were getting more tired throughout the week. Yeah. Your warm up was becoming mm. much longer. Yeah, I was having to warm up more and more, more every day. Because each I, time. Yes, there was, there was a lot of swearing. There was a lot of, oh my goodness, my body does not feel good. But I, I really enjoyed that challenge. When I was running, I hated the longer runs. I, I loved yeah. the, the workouts and really like, running right at my red line and, and maybe beyond sometimes. In fact, Sarah was joking because the very first day, the pair of shoes that I was testing, my pacing was so bad. Yeah. It was, it was, it was terrible. It was a kilometre, Andy. I mean, come on, I did more running to the cocktail bar in Tenerife. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what I, was super I, interesting I though that. was watching Andy's pacing because it was it was relatively flat where we were running. Yeah. I was driving a car. Our videographer Tom was sat in the boot of the car filming Andy yeah, out the back tech. of it. High tech. Um, and yeah, your pacing was awful on that first one. But <laughs> after four days, you did get the hang of it. I got the hang of it. And also I'd got the hang of the different shoes. And that segues very nicely into the fact like you need to stay tuned to watch the running channel video where we put these shoes head to head against the... The, the Nike Vaporfly Next% 2, the Next% 3 actually, we'll come on to that, is, is just about to launch as well. But to try and give a real benchmark as to the way that different shoes feel, um, and different super shoes are fit for different people and different purposes. And today's episode, due to popular demand, because you guys all emailed in to podcast.therunningchannel.com asking for more information about super shoes. And I know that Sarah, you've got a few. Yes. So there were lots of different questions, lots of different topics, but I think let's start off with what is a super shoe? And can anyone wear one? What is a super shoe? What, <laughs> what, what is a super shoe? Super shoe, I feel like Andy. I've been, I must have had the same sort of liquid diet that Rick clearly had every day in Tenerife. <laughs> if I can't get my words out. Um, what is a super shoe? Really concisely, it's the pinnacle of, of racing shoes. So they should be the shoes that you buy or invest in to help you run fast on race day. Um, and super shoes didn't used to be a thing. Racing flats were the thing. But now that's evolved into these super shoes, which is high stack height. So you're a long way off the ground big stack a big wedge of foam midsole which is really bouncy and responsive and in the majority of cases a carbon plate of some shape or design that sits inside that midsole and the combination of the plate and the midsole propel you forward uh giving you massively higher energy return than anything in, in kind of running shoe history so lots of people have been asking should i buy a super shoe yeah. should i get a super shoe in fact we even had one question in from someone who had been recommended not to get a super shoe because of their 10k time so for people who are thinking about purchasing what is a super shoe going to do for someone who isn't an elite runner so the first thing to think about is it's not it shouldn't be invest if you're only buying one pair of shoes don't buy super shoes so don't do all of your runs in super shoes um, and that's because they don't last that long. They're really expensive um, and they're not particularly supportive. And we would always advocate that you're mixing up your paces in your run. So if you do want to do a longer, slower recovery run or even a short recovery run, doing those in super shoes is just going to be inefficient biomechanically. Mm. And then to the question of will they make a non-elite runner faster? In most cases, yes, but not always. And not every brand will suit everybody the same way. They fit differently. They use different compounds of foam, some are really bouncy and then therefore feel quite wobbly. Some are really firm and therefore don't feel like you get the same energy return, but they feel much more stable and planted. Um, those are all the things to, to take into consideration. And then some are wider, some are narrower, some are higher stack height, some are higher drop. So they are totally different. So that's what I found out in Lanzarote. Actually, there's a vast difference between four pairs that are, of shoes that are purported to do the same thing, help you run faster on race day, but they visually look really different. They felt so different on my feet. And that's the thing to think about that, different runners have different paces. Like there's going to be someone running a five hour marathon and someone running a three hour marathon, their cadence, their gait, their foot strike, all of those things are different. So there's no substitute for actually trying them in real life and seeing what they feel like. 
And if you're worried about the stability and the risk of injury and so on, then then they're probably not the right thing for you because most of the super shoes do feel um, like as you get tired, you're prone to kind of your knee wandering in towards the center line of your body or um, your your ex, your pronation becoming excessive or you're sitting down in your hips to, into that kind of tired running position. That is only going to get exaggerated and then super shoes are likely to highlight the point of, of weakness in your mechanics and could lead to an injury. But if you feel quite efficient and quite strong and you've tried them out, then it's pretty likely that they'll they'll give you a performance advantage. You know, if you run a marathon one day without shoes and another day with the shoes, then you'll run faster. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that they do make a huge, huge difference to lots of people and lots of people love running in them no matter what yeah. their pace is. But a lot of these shoes compared to you know, a kind of normal everyday trainer, even more so are being tailored towards high up athletes who are trying to break records or run really fast times or win races and so it is going to be probably more so than a trainer that you would buy fresh out the box to wear for every single run super shoes are going to feel massively different because they are built designed engineered to break records to make people go faster in the the majority of cases yes and we've even had some manufacturers say to us that their specific shoe is is you know or might only help people who are running sub three hours for a marathon for example and if you're a a 410 marathoner wanting to break four hours that their shoe's not the one that's going to help you Mm. um i don't know whether they'd say that publicly which is why i'm not kind of naming that shoe brand but that's worth bearing in mind what you want to achieve from it and what you want to wear it for so ideally you'll have a couple of pairs of shoes uh, an everyday trainer and then your super shoes racing in them is what you're aiming to do but you need to train in them because they fundamentally change your biomechanics the way your foot strikes the ground the amount of time your foot spends on the ground where your the way you, you carry your your legs from a running economy perspective because of the stiffness at your kind of at your ankle when you're making contact with the ground all of those things change and so if you're not practicing that then you're actually going to be you might not get as much out of the shoes as possible and the foam and, and carbon plate in combination actually help you recover after you've worn them so don't wear them for recovery yeah definitely don't substitute out a pair of sliders for super <laughs> shoes they are doing nothing for you yeah. but this is what I was going to say as well I didn't realise for ages that Super shoes aren't just for race day. In fact, quite a lot of elites will be training in super shoes or even illegal shoes, which I think we've mentioned before. Yeah, that's over 40 mil stack height. Yeah, they'll be training in them because they're able to recover faster if they wear them for a hard session. They'll actually feel better and then be able to race harder or train harder the next day. Yeah, the shoes are giving you more impact protection and more energy return when you're making contact with the ground. So when I ran, I had maybe 10 mil of protection in my racing flats that I might have worn on the track or the road for my hard workouts. And that my body took a beating from the impact and, and it took me a long time to recover every day. Whereas uh, anecdotally, a lot of my friends who are competing at a really high level still are saying that they can do stuff they never could have done before if they train in the super shoes. So I just have one quick question. Mm. How pissed off are you that super <laughs> shoes didn't exist when you were competing? Oh. What type of shoes did exist when you were competing? Sandals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just barefoot. It was just actually a bit of grass. Just yeah, yeah. Just like <laughs> recording timing on a timing on a sundial. I was running in a toga. Um, I was, actually, actually, I was naked. You, the you, old you ancient, went, ancient went the level. Just a leaf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just a fig leaf. <laughs> just a little tiny leaf. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, how annoyed am I? I'm not an annoyed per se. I think I'd have run faster if I had super shoes, mm-hmm. potentially. Um, but but it's sort of changed my enjoyment of track and field now uh, and the road racing to see how fast people are running because I don't really know how much is the person, how much is the shoe. So I'm pretty sure a lot of the runners running now are better athletes than me. So they'd have run faster than me and have beaten me anyway. 
but I, I kind of don't know exactly how I'd have compared because I didn't have the same shoes. Mm. There was always evolving technology from Cinder Track to, to then synthetic tracks. And then even when I was running, the tracks got better and faster and gave more energy return. But it is a, a seismic shift if you look at the world record's been broken and the number of times now in the top 10, top 20 all-time lists that have been set in the last two or three years, it's, it's a fundamental change. And that does annoy me a little bit. Oh, if it's okay, he's not bitter. No, he's not, not bitter at all. You're not oh, saying uh, that through gritted teeth. No. <laughs> take, take, take a deep breath, Andy. It's fine. Talk about yourself in the third person. That's not pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that has answered a lot of questions about super shoes. If you do have any more questions, then we love talking about shoes. So do email yeah. them into podcast at therunningchannel.com and we can do another whole episode. We can do more questions coming yeah. on later on. Um, next up, we have got the news and we've also got your questions coming up too. You are listening to the Running Channel podcast. Don't forget that this episode is brought to you by New Balance and their Fuel Cell Supercomp Elite V4, which is their ultimate marathon racing shoe, and their Fuel Cell Rebel V4, which is their do-anything running shoe, but skewed towards speed, which is what Sarah's been using it for in her marathon training. And both of them are lighter than their predecessors. Yes, I have been wearing them in training. And I know that this isn't a scientific fact, but I feel like the placebo effect of if your shoes look fast, you will be fast. Well, I always feel like I look fast. What about you? (laughs) Me too, especially in these. And that's what I've been enjoying in training, that kind of like angular geometric design of the shoe just makes me want to go faster so if you want to look much cooler than me or sarah hey leave me out of it if you want to look cooler than andy wear anything if you want to look cooler than me head to the link in the show notes to check out the rebel v4 and the super complete v4 So it's almost time to answer your questions. But up first, each week, me and Andy select a new story from the world of running to talk about. Andy, what have you got this week? Right, well, I promise I'm not going to do elite pro running stuff every time. That's definitely, well, I'll do my best anyway. But I'm a bit of a geek. this time, it's about that. Yes, it is. So please, please bear with me because I still think it's exciting. I promise. (laughs) People are breaking world records because they're wearing super shoes. People are breaking world records. So it's incredible because this is a really long-standing world record. The 3,000 meter world record indoors has been held by Daniel Komen for 25 years. So since uh, 1998. That's since I've been born. Oh, we don't want to talk about that, Sarah. Let's just, it's not all about you. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So in... Uh, when are you off to a soccer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, bring on that marathon. So yeah, the 3,000 meter world record was broken in Lievin in France. Um... Uh, last night at the time of recording by Ethiopian Lemetja Gurma, seven minutes, 23. So I preached 3000 meters. Yeah. So that's, you've been to the track. What did you run when you ran one lap of the track to try and run, run at world record pace? 120. 120. So 80 seconds, one minute, 20 for one lap all out of the track. Yeah. So these, these guys, the maths. these guys are running 59 seconds per 400 meters for seven and a half laps. It's 15 laps because it's indoors. Oh, they're so they're only 20 seconds laps. faster than me. But they did do it a lot. A lot, a lot yeah. That's, that's well over 100 metres faster per lap. So, and they were nah, running 200 metre laps. So actually they're, 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 yeah, quite a long way ahead. It's my, I, I did run the 3,000 metres a lot. This is one of my PBs that I was the most proud of. I ran 7.39 and was super pumped about that. This, this is 15, 16, 100 metres faster. Um, mm. And yeah, it's just blown my mind. Actually, both of the first two guys, um, so Germa and then Mohamed Katir from Spain, both broke the old world, the old world record. So um, yeah. that 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 I, I I get excited by this. That there is a, I think it's related to the super shoes conversation. The spikes are kind of slightly less impactful because they they're limited in how high they can be. Mm. But the new foam and, and plates in the spikes, plus indoor surfaces which actually have a little bit of flex in them as well, whereas opposed to outdoor, the tracks are like on concrete 
Um, so there's, there's more bounce. So it's like a perfect storm of energy return in some indoor mm. tracks and some spikes where these people are just running phenomenal, crazy, unheard of, fastest in history times. I have a question about indoor running. Yeah. Is the temperature always the same? No. Uh, and, and different tracks can be, it actually ends up being really dry indoors. Often there might be some air conditioning and things like that. So right. I always found like I could taste blood after I raced, it in, it raced indoors because of the way it, it burnt my lungs to run in such a like sort of dry, uh, dry air inside. So You could taste blood. Ugh. Yeah, it wasn't actually like my lung, I, just the inflammation in my lungs from breathing that hard in the dry air. Wow. Yeah, would would I be able to taste that a little bit? Yeah, that's unpleasant, isn't it? Sorry, everyone. Sorry, well... well that took well, a turn. Yeah, I mean, we know what the social clip is. <laughs> <laughs> Andy tasting blood, yeah. And clip here. So, um, so yeah, you to, my- yeah, I would love yours, Sarah. Like, hit, 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 me with, hit me with your new story. Well, I've got another record, very, very different to yeah. the world of trap running. This is, sorry if I pronounce this wrong, Joasia or Joe, um, Zach Roweski. Wow, I mean, you've really done your research on this one. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, I'm that so was, sorry. That was incredible, so yeah. she is from Scotland, she lives in Australia, and she has just broken the 48-hour world record oh, yes. for running. Absolutely incredible, mind-boggling. I don't know how anyone does this, but I thought this was even more topical for this episode because she broke it in a pair of Nike Alphafly super shoes. Mm. Can you imagine wearing... So the other thing about super shoes is that they're not always necessarily going to feel super comfortable for like a very long run so the first time I wore a pair I couldn't have really ever imagined wearing them for a full marathon and she's worn them for 48 hours and she's worn them for 48 hours and she's worn them for 411.458 kilometers or 255.668 miles I didn't do the conversion so that's definitely right two 255.668 in 48 hours so 130 miles a day nearly that is yeah Absolutely incredible. So that's an average of, uh, I can't do the math quickly enough. What did I say? 100? So like more, more than five miles an hour for 48 hours. Yeah. Pretty, that's pretty full on. Incredible. So it was at the Taipei Ultramarathon. Um, and yeah, it just, it boggles my brain that people can keep going. Because I think with really, really long records, it's yeah. when you keep breaking it down and go, oh, well, I could run five miles in an hour. Yeah. And then you go, okay, could you do that for... Yeah, without, yeah it's absolutely... Two days. Uh, <laughs> Literally yeah, just two, just two, two days. days. Well, this, we were having a conversation about this um, before the podcast about the difference in mindset between arguably me and and the, these these people that are running these crazy... Like, I feel like that, that 3,000 metres all out at your red line, your absolute max for a finite amount of time, which is a short amount of time, say for me up to 30 minutes... That's, that's what I enjoy, like testing my limits in that window of like, I'm all out. This is as fast as I can possibly go. Yeah. But I don't think I have the mentality to grind it out for, for, for 48 hours. This like, is what I love about running though, is yeah. that like, those are... We've, it's the same sport, but hi- it's just so, so different. Yeah, like we've highlighted two totally different people. Like the mindset of being able to run 3,000 metres in seven minutes versus the mindset of being able to run 400 kilometres in 48 hours. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, I'd, l- I'd like to know. I'd like to get a little survey going on. So uh, get in touch with us on, on social media or podcast at therunningtown.com. Which type of runner are you? Are you aiming for a time? Uh, do you have a goal in one of your races coming up? And do you have any questions about how you might want to achieve that time? Uh, and, and conversely, are you someone who enjoys that kind of attritional, internal battle with your own self-doubt to take on this, I'm going to finish. I'm gonna, no matter what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take on this incredible 
challenge over a certain distance where the, the goal is to get over that finish line. Mm. Interesting. Which one are you? you I don't know which one I am. I'm very definitely time focused. It's for now, Andy. Yes. Wait yeah. till we get you running a marathon. Yeah. Well, running an ultra marathon. It might not be that interesting, but as a, a very quick anecdote, uh, I would run with a, a training partner of mine. And if we did the same session, but it was distance, so running one kilometer efforts versus the same session where my coach would say we're running for three minutes and then we stop. It, I could not, he would absolutely destroy me when we were running for tarp for like three minutes. So it's like you just run until three minutes is up. But conversely, I would find it much easier to do one kilometers where I know the finish line is in a specific place. Interesting. Um, well, hey, if that is a session that you're struggling with, maybe that's the way to flip yeah, it on so its head. Switch it around. Don't do five by one K, do five by whatever, whatever time it would normally basis. take you to yeah. do approximately yeah, five, and, and four, just finish, five, six minutes. finish where you're finishing okay so you're listening to the running channel podcast that was the news this week coming up we've got your questions so every week we go through your questions that you've emailed in and we actually read everyone don't we we do. We have a lovely, lovely spreadsheet that is building week on week with all of your questions. So please do keep emailing them in. I love yeah. reading through all of them. And I think if one of the questions or requests was, we could do an entire episode where we only answer the questions. Just questions. Because there's a lot to get yeah. through. Yeah. yeah. Top of this week was Scott. And Scott emailed in to say, I'd be interested to hear both of your thoughts on slow runs and just how often we should be doing them. Ooh. Andy? Well, funnily enough, we just did a video on this uh, on YouTube. Whereas about the secret to running faster is running slower. Um, and and the, the broad summary is here, it doesn't have to be exactly 80%, but Matt Fitzgerald is a guy who, a coach who came up with this 80-20 split where 80% of your running should be easier, slower runs and 20% is that high intensity interval running. Um, and that, you know, when I went back through my old training diaries, that, that wasn't, I don't, I don't think myself and my coach would sit down and calculate those numbers, but that's what it ended up as. Mm. So it is, it's a really good rule of thumb that, you need to run slow enough, often enough to recover from the faster runs that you do. And the, the key here is variety and pace. Yeah, I think variety, that's definitely what I found to be the most useful thing within training. I actually, when we were out in Lanzarote, I filmed a video leading up to a soccer marathon. And I said that if I could go back and do this training block again, the one thing that I would change is making my easy runs way easier at the start of the training block so you I mean think. actually listening to the advice that i give you all of the time yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. well i think no, so i was running them easy but i think it's very easy to go like oh, okay my marathon pace is this yeah i'll just add 30 seconds whereas yeah. actually if i'd just taken my watch off and yeah. just gone out and run it would have been looked very different i very rarely looked at my pace on my easy runs because uh, you know i never i was lazy i never had a problem with running too fast on my easy runs but i, I tried to make a point in the video that we made about Whilst these times might not be relatable to everybody, the range of times that I was running is the really important thing here. So, for example, my race pace was four minute miling. Uh, my flex. <laughs> that was not meant to be a flex. But the, the, then my threshold running was five minute miling, steady running six minute miling, and then my easy recovery running was outside slower than seven minute miling. I would start my easy runs uh, at eight minute miling and then just get a little bit quicker as I went through. But if you think about the difference there from four minutes to eight minute miling, that's whereas a lot of people I speak to are like, well, my, my pace is seven minute miling. And so I'll do my easy runs at seven minute 10 and I'll do my intervals at six minutes 50 per mile. And that's, 
that's it's, not enough range. I think you need to try and discover your faster paces and then also give yourself easy days where you just don't care and listen to your body. Also, if everyone in this moment in time agreed to actually do this, yeah. then we could get away from my newest favourite activity, which is dissecting what people mean in their Strava titles <laughs> or Instagram titles that, of their runs. That's a podcast episode on its own. So we would like the... Uh, For example... Yeah. Park run with Jenny. That means Jenny is slow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so or, many people uh, do G- that. G- have, or having GPS issues, which means... Uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I don't feel these, these statistics are reflective of my current level of fitness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, super <laughs> chatty, easy mileage. Yeah. I we, can run faster than this. We have to do an episode yeah. on this. Okay. It's so good. I saw someone do that on Instagram and it's Yes, it's we may have so stolen accurate. some of those, so yeah. apologies if we've yeah. stolen them. Uh, right. Uh, next question comes from Paul. Uh, Paul wrote and asked this. He says, for each of you, what is the running event or experience that you remember most fondly? Maybe an organised race, a personal first, or just a great experience with friends? Um, I'm happy to go. Yeah. Um, I think it's a race that I did at university. So this is going way back before before professional stuff. Uh, the Varsity Match is one of the oldest uh, cross-country races in the world, which makes it one of the oldest running races in the world, probably. So it's Oxford versus Cambridge uh, on Wimbledon Common in London. It's been going for well over 100 years. And it's in the men's race, it's eight men from Cambridge versus eight men from Oxford University um, over about 12K of mud. You run through a river. It's a proper old school cross-country. I did it one year where it was, you know, shin deep in water and another year where it was kind of bone dry. So, um, and, and I just, the thing I loved about that is, is running, I think I ended up in the wrong sport. I love being part of a team and ultimately mm. uh, for 10 years as a professional, I was out there answerable only to myself. And then, but I remember that those guys are still some of my closest friends. Um, it, it was this incredible experience. There's, there's a huge rivalry there as well. Um, so all of those things, it's, it's uh, something I remember really fondly. And I, I was lucky enough to be the, the kind of university captain in my final year and, Funnily enough, that's how I ended up meeting Andy, who ended up coaching me because I was trying to coach this entire university team, had no idea what I was doing. So I asked Andy to coach the team and I had to show up and do the training that he was setting. So then I got a little bit better yeah. and I asked him to coach me. So there you go. Andy, that's such a nice thing, actually. Thank you. I don't often hear you speak so passionately and emotionally. Oh, yeah. I, I feel quite passionately about the uh, resurgence of the V-neck T-shirt, which, <laughs> which, you're, which you're bringing back today. <laughs> the V-neck is back, mate. Okay, Apparently, it's back. You heard it's it back. here first. According yeah. to Rick, the V-neck T-shirt is back. I got this from a top brand. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Okay, Sarah, let's hear your oh, running experience. The V-necks experience. are available. Um, my, it, it's so hard. I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose the first ultramarathon I ever did. Yeah. Um, because how many have you done in total, by the way? Two. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't mean to diminish that, but it was you sounded you like two, oh. two more than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was my second ever time running a, a marathon distance, yeah. and then I did. I think it ended up being fifty-four k, so another twelve k on top of that. It was in Thailand. It was hard, but also not hard. I remember yeah. we. I filmed all of it. And it was part of this incredible trip um, because it was the first time, first kind of proper time that the race was happening with an international um, audience and international competitors as well. And I I was not competing. I was there to finish, get my lovely medal and leave. And I remember I filmed it and we put together the video afterwards and you watched it. And I, I think I said like, oh, Andy, what do you think? And you were like 
you're just a bit too happy. <laughs> well, you sent me the most incredible message after you'd finished. It was like kind of just this, this has been one of the greatest experiences of my life. And, and also you're being modest because uh, I had reports back from the race that there were a lot of pros in your distance that you were doing who had like really lofty goals of how fast they were going to do it. And they were all like, I can't believe some anyone could do this as their first ultramarathon. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, I'm glad and also, they said that yeah. after. <laughs> well, because we yeah, all set too. off. I think because it wasn't like such a big established race. Everyone, the thing with ultras is that you never know what time you're going to run because it's all down to the elevation and this one had pretty hefty elevation so one person set off and I think she was aiming for like five to six hours so in my head I was like okay I'm definitely slower so probably like eight to nine ish yeah she finished in I think between eight and nine Mm. and someone texted me that as I was running and I and I was like probably seven hours in at this point and I was like oh no <laughs> not That's finished. Such, such an understated reaction to the devastation of not realizing you were finished in an hour. <laughs> oh no, Sarah! But at least you were happy at the end of it. It was. It was. It was like a yeah. beautiful. I was out for twelve hours yeah. in Thailand by myself, going yeah. through forest, yeah. jungle, everything. It was just magical. And there's a real sense of pride for me as well, like uh, of experiencing it vicariously through the video that you put together but but hearing about it from you afterwards like rick was talking about me talking passionately about the thing i enjoyed like you can hear how excited you're about that so mm. there was there was a sense of pride in the kind of running channel family that you'd been able to do this incredible thing that you actually never thought that you'd probably ever get the chance to do no. or be able to yeah and it was also just so nice as well being around such incredible runners like the the running scene in thailand is insane like they are so cool yeah. yeah and even just to overtake one person on a hill i was quite proud of myself <laughs> and then Amazing. they re-overtook me on the downhill but well, while we're having such a loving at yeah. the end of this episode which is quite unusual for the three of us yes. to be honest here um <laughs> i've got to say that one of my favorite experiences actually oh, yeah, ever we should, with we should running, ask you as well uh, <laughs> you know what sometimes sometimes <laughs> i just wonder why i come to work <laughs> go uh, on rick what's no, your I, what's I, your favorite moment I've, so I've got a couple jump out. So obviously the first time around London in 2017 would be, you know, standout <gasps> moment. But yeah. actually probably one of my favorite ever moments of running was actually with you, Sarah, in Finsbury Park when I ran for the first time again after having an osteotomy, which is when they basically give you a new leg. Yeah. Uh, and me and you went for a one mile run in Finsbury Park in North London. 1K. Uh, 1K, yeah. sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, mate. Uh, me and you went for uh, a marathon together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, so I'm going to jump in and just say that both of the moments you mentioned, the London Marathon and that yeah. that moment with Sarah, were emotional for all of us involved. Like, I actually think you called me after the London Marathon in 2017 yeah, yeah. and were like pretty tearful about yeah, this yeah, thing that you yeah, just experienced. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I just think that's the magic of yeah. running. Actually, you're making me a bit emotional, quite. No, oh. yeah. Go well. on, Rick, cry. This one's going out on video. Did I cry last <laughs> time? No, I didn't. No, no, no. Right. Yeah, almost, yeah. almost. No, but you yeah. know, it is. It is. Yeah. It's, them, it's those moments, isn't it? That, that, that when they mean something. Yeah. So, I think what's we're all nice being too as nice well. to each other here. No, but what's yeah. nice as well is all of those moments are. None of us won anything. None of us like smashed. No. None of us picked out stuff where it was like, yeah, I absolutely smashed my PB. Yeah. Look at the wholesomeness of running, bringing people together, really and is. achieving uh-huh. their dreams and goals. Well, that's, that was really lovely. Yeah. You know what I think would also be really lovely? If you're listening to this right now <laughs> yeah. and one has jumped to mind, email it into us, podcast yeah. at runningchannel.com. We would love to hear what is your one special running moment. 
Yeah, and don't forget to make sure you rate and subscribe to the Running Channel podcast. Follow us so that you get the latest episodes and leave us some lovely reviews if you like what you're listening to. You've been listening to the Running Channel podcast and we'll see you next week. And it will be days before I head off to a soccer marathon, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, and wish her luck. This episode was brought to you by New Balance and two specific shoes from the Fuel Cell range, the Rebel V4 and the Supercomp Elite V4. And there's an incredible amount of technology in both of these shoes. I'm the shoe geek, Sarah hates this bit. The Fuel Cell technology is the midsole foam, which is aimed at being propulsive. So both of these shoes feel fast. And then in the Supercomp Elite V4, there are strategic midsole voids. So essentially gaps or holes in the the midsole, which in combination with the carbon fiber plate design are aimed at increasing the amount of stored energy that you get. All super shoes are aimed at giving you as much energy back as possible, with these being New Balance's best yet. Well, if you want to check out either the Fuel Cell Supercomp Elite V4 for race day or the Fuel Cell Rebel V4, which could be for race day, it could be for all of your training as well, then head to the link in the show notes.